opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives. I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. Who are the hard left, Chris? Well, we know who the hard left are in the you know, ascendancy I, I, within, the, within the Labour Party who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right to right wing. The hard left agenda, printing money, nationalisation without compensation, hard left wing position, hard left, the 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 hard left, Oh, Jesus. oh, is this okay? So, everything is on record from here. We can offer you, you know, some insight, but you know, it's more about Sucky Hall Street on a Friday night. <laughs> yes, if you're recording now, I, I you know, I, I'm now talking from an official young labour capacity. So. <laughs> yeah, so, um, which one of you guys is which? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Alistair, I'm co chair of Scottish Labour Young Socialists. Um, I, and I'm Liam, I'm the newly elected chair of Scottish Young Labour. Good stuff, like, it's good to see, it's just, it's just good to hear, like, good comrades' names with, like, some official position after it, you know? <laughs> We're not just Twitter accounts. Yeah, I am actually <laughs> Liam Gleason at LMGS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just much better than hearing, like, Luke Akehurst, like president of la- official Labour, like nuke enthusiast committee or something. <laughs> so, how's it going, guys? Very well. Um, very well. I just wanted to, you know, before we start, thank uh, Vladislav Surkov, um, <laughs> everyone at the Kremlin for the incredible work they've done in helping us build Slice. Um, yeah, the gas problem <laughs> money has been essential. It wouldn't be the same without you guys, so, you know, thank you. Yeah. Well, as official representatives of that regime, uh, we we can accept your thanks and we will pass it on to our higher-ups. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you, you know, this episode is really just a, a bit of non-linear warfare. Like, <laughs> straight out straight out of the Surkov playbook. Hey, yeah, I, I am, like, skilled in, like, two battlegrounds, and those are Scottish Young Labour and the Caucasus. Yeah, so, all right, I guess I'll do, like, an introduction kind of thing. So, 
Hi everyone, you're listening to the Real Politics Podcast, <laughs> a special spur of the moment edition. I'm Jack, we've got Tom here. Yo, how you doing? And we've got we've got two of our good comrades from Scottish Labour Young Socialists. We have got Liam Gleeson, who is the chair of Scottish Young Labour, and we have got Alistair Craig, who is Hi. the chair of Scottish Labour Young Socialists, am I right? Co-chair, because you know, we're 21st century and all that. <laughs> True, I voted for him. <laughs> <laughs> so, you guys have been making quite a splash on the Scottish left, haven't you? You can tell because John McTurnan and, like, all those, like, old wankers just, like, <laughs> fucking hate you. <laughs> like, yeah. they, they just post the most, like, contemptuous shit and it's just like, okay, these guys are actually getting some stuff done. Like, <laughs> they're pissing yeah, off the right people. Me. Just to ask, what was kind of, before you, like, fully threw yourself into Scottish Young Labour and stuff, what was the political makeup of that grouping before you fully got involved? Yeah, I don't know. Alistair, you've been a long-time Labour supporter, haven't you? Um, so right, I I was um, I joined the Labour Party when I was sixteen. I volunteered in the offices of Jim Murphy. Oh. Uh, I, you know, I I was the archetypal young Labour hack. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it took Scottish Labour young socialists, I guess, to kind of like change the dynamic. I mean, uh, I mean myself, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm another cliche. I'm one of these mythical people you hear about that was politicised during the Scottish independence referendum. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, one of those. Uh, we do exist. We're not just like SNP membership numbers. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, I kind of got involved during that. And that was when I was in my final year of like, high school. And, you know, like, any kind of sensible person on, like, the young left, I would back the Yes campaign back in the day. Uh, sorry, Alistair. Um, I, I had the British Road to Socialism like on my birth certificate. Like, on my... <laughs> oh, you know, we're, we're better together, right, guys? I'm, I'm, or, or is what, what, what's the new one? Like, they had better together, and now is it like stronger together or something? Yeah, together we're stronger. Um, it's, so it's it... actually a Hillary Clinton campaign slogan. <laughs> it's just like you take the stronger in message of the successful Remain campaign. You take the successful better together message I mean obviously that actually did win but yeah. it wasn't exactly a, a raw, it caught raw success uh, what cost? yeah it caught, <laughs> it, it caught up <laughs> it caught up with Scottish Labour in the long term but I, I guess kind of the nexus of Scottish Labour Young Socialists was actually the Neil Finlay for Leader campaign which which was what was that 2014 so yeah, so this um this predated Corbyn, obviously. It was our Corbyn, wasn't it? So, yeah, I, I, in 2014, Joanne Lamont resigned the Scottish Labour leadership, calling it a branch office, saying that she'd been undermined by Ed Miliband and the, the, the London... Um, the, the London staff. It's all your fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and at, at that point, there was a kind of... A group of, like, young leftists in Scotland who came together who were in the Labour tradition, who were, you know, sympathetic to radical trade union politics... Um, and who thought that there needed to be a political element to that. And that is, I guess, why we were we were infused by Neil Finlay. And then that carried on, and we had very kind of informal groupings for maybe about six months to a year, and it was really formalised when Jeremy Corbyn stood for the Labour leadership, um, yeah. and since then we've gone from strength to strength. But I, I guess the important thing to note about this is that we predate momentum, and uh, we predate Jeremy Corbyn's leadership campaign, and we threw ourselves into these campaigns as a pre-existing organisation. Like the infrastructure was already in place before you know these things were even like on the horizon. Personally, I actually um, I never personally got involved in the Neil Finlay campaign. I joined after that 
He's an uh, MSP, isn't he? Yeah, MSP for the Wolvians. He's on the left of the party, right? Yeah, he's very good. But I, I guess this kind of alerted me and numerous others that there was actually a left within Scottish Labour that yeah. was kind of vaguely organised before Corbyn really came to kind of prominence, I guess. Yeah, because I, I actually think I only heard of you guys recently. I mean, I've, obviously I'm not Scottish and don't live in Scotland. I think I followed you two for quite a while on Twitter, but I think I... I think I knew some of you like as sort of individuals online before I'd heard of the organization. So it's it's recently that I don't know, I think you've been yeah, you as you say, you've been going from strength to strength and definitely gaining prominence. Yeah, well certainly recently. We've had a couple of good successes in the last month. We won five of what was it, eight? Five uh, of eight yeah. um positions on like the Scottish Executive Committee. Just constituency positions, so that's lay members voting for like left candidates. Yeah. Which in previously, like in the past we had one. So yeah. it's been a huge improvement. And then again we got a lot of attention recently because of our victory at like the Scottish and Labour elections. Yeah, I heard about that, and uh, that was when you were elected chair right. of Scottish Young Labour, wasn't it, Liam? Yes, yeah, that's right. So every single candidate we stood on, on our slate, which was, you know, entirely transparent and democratically elected and elected to that committee. And obviously, Mr. Gleeson himself was quoted at First Minister's question. <laughs> <that ever come? laughs> I mean, I'm sure we'll get to that at some point. Not necessarily bought by the side <laughs> you'd want. <laughs> it was the SNP, wasn't it? Yeah. Um... It, it, it wasn't the Tories. Like, I, I said that, and then I was like all people might think the Tories quoted you and I just wanted to clarify that it wasn't it wasn't you know in in the Scottish Labour left tradition there's there's not much difference Um, (laughs) but that's right um, my influence has peaked it's reached Butte Hall um, (laughs) 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 Uh, Liam is obviously too self-effacing to comment on this so I'm going to explain the circumstances to any of your listeners after the Scottish Labour conference which was I wouldn't describe it as a disastrous affair. I would just describe it as quite sad this year. Um, imagine a 1997 reenactment society. Um, <laughs> like 12% in the polls, and there's like absolutely zero confession of that and zero like change of strategy. Things can only get better. They won't get any worse, that's correct. <laughs> so yeah, so, so that, that happened. So there was an acrimonious conference. It, it wasn't even acrimonious. It was just so apolitical, and it was just so irrelevant. And the whole conference was themed around Scottish Labour support for the Union. A kind of very kind of uncritical, unquestioning unionism. Yeah. So me and Liam left the conference on the Saturday and we were both like thoroughly despondent about it and a lot of our energy I guess had been sucked out. And so Liam I guess started tweeting. As I always do, you know. um, (laughs) I feel it man, I feel it. (laughs) On the conference. Uh, And um so the, the next, so I mean, it kind of rounded itself off of saying that Scottish Labour can't take a position which is like the position of a pound shop, Ruth Davidson, and somehow or other that worked its way into Nicola Sturgeon attacking our leader at First Minister's question. Yeah, I'm now being followed by three of Sturgeon's spads. Um, it's, it's important because obviously the point was never to say that Kezia Dugdale was a pound job or Davidson, which is the way they portrayed it. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it was manipulated. It got picked up by Wings Over Scotland, who's a prolific Bath-based, transphobic, you know, pro-independence <laughs> blogger. 
you know, I, I actually have, like, no time for whatsoever. I've heard a lot of bad things about Wings Over Scotland. I think a while ago they were quite a fan of my anti-John McTurnan piece. <laughs> but but I was briefly like very popular with Scottish nationalists when when yeah, I mean, when they started sharing that piece amongst each other. But when you get the the bright lights of the the retweets, like <laughs> you, you allow yourself into like some bad politics. <laughs> <laughs> like hey, wings over Scotland, my my, <laughs> new, my new best friend. It's not the power you sell yourself for; it's the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, power numbers. It's same, same shit. But yeah, that is obviously um, a shame. Quite a funny shame. But, <laughs> but I think in, in the in the whole, like Scottish Labour Young Socialists have been a terrific example of what the left can do within the Labour Party if they're properly organised. So like at the Scottish Young Labour Conference, you got a load of motions passed, didn't you, that were to the left of the Labour leadership effectively. Uh, or at least, yeah. may- maybe not their personal beliefs, but the stances that they're taking currently. Yeah, that's entirely right, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. So basically, was, I guess we were talking earlier about what Scottish Young Labour was like before Slice existed. And the fact is that this was the first time we ever held any kind of actual policy debate. So we'd never like passed policy. Yeah, we never had any position um, on anything whatsoever. So I guess the, the important thing about this conference was to like basically fill the book with like very basic left-wing policy. Yeah. So it ranged from things like so um, the conference supported uh, free education. Yeah, of course. Um, conference supported you know like um, freedom of movement, defending migrants' rights, Brilliant. and then we took kind of positions on uh, international issues. So you know we called for the end of Trident. We supported um, withdrawal from NATO. Yeah, absolutely um, fucking right. These should be the positions for the left. Yeah closes ranks to make the case for instead of people wanting to triangulate on these particular issues. Yeah, I think if you're like you're in a Western kind of imperialist nation and you're not talking about these issues, you know, you've got to take a serious look at yourself really. You can't transform society properly without addressing the imperialist military and economic policy of our country. Yeah, and I find the exciting thing about this is this isn't like the fringe view of like a couple of people who have read too many Jacobin articles, like this was actually passed by conference. It was passed fairly heavily, wasn't it? You know? Yeah, it was overwhelming. I mean, it's worth noting, like, the right did shy away from the second day. Like, the traditional, like, Labour right mm. didn't want to come to the second day because it involved policy discussion and because yeah. it would involve their politics being put under scrutiny. So, I mean, it's, it's fairly odd, like... Um, at Scottish Young Labour Conference this year, which we organised, the right left immediately after they'd lost the elections because it meant that they'd have to sit through a workshop on the Dagenham workers and a workshop on anti-fascism. God, imagine yeah, yeah, well, it. Well, I mean, like they could have stayed behind, but it would have meant that they'd have to listen to... It was absolutely to... great, though. It was right up their street. It was how to write your Guardian think piece. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was quite eye-opening for me because it made me realise that their vision of politics is one that cannot come under any criticism at all, otherwise it just falls apart. And, you know, the event, I'm sure, like, you'll probably, like, have a go at me for mentioning this, but Gordon Maloney, I don't know whether you know, he's an ex-NUS Scotland president, he's Jewish, he's a socialist, but he got up and he gave the most outstanding speech on practical anti-fascism that I've ever seen at a political event. And he got a round of applause. And that was what they boycotted. They weren't interested in listening to that. And, and I don't know whether you... I'm sure you know our comrade um, CM play, uh, Emily Robinson, who spoke on... Uh, oh, yeah. Yep, uh, she's a member of Slice and uh, wonderful 
but she spoke on anti-fascist organizing in the age of Trump. But, you know, like... Yeah, no, she, she, no she, sorry, I'm, I'm, I just realized my phone isn't on silent and it's making loud noises. But no, em, Emily's really cool. I follow her. And if you guys could put in a word, we'd quite like to hear about her sort of, like, intersection between the DSA and Scottish Labour Young Socialists in her experience. It's a lovely mess, marriage, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> she's wonderful, and I'm sure she'd be more than happy to speak on the podcast. But I'm um, just saying that she, she, was, she was talking about um, kind of how the American left has to organise in the age of Trump, and it just struck me as you know, fundamentally ridiculous that all of these people who have built their politics, the, you know, the Labour right, who have built their politics for the past 20 years on this kind of identitarian perspective would yeah. walk out over something like that. Yeah. And it struck me again that that means that myself and Liam's politics are the mainstream. Like we are no longer these fringe people who turn up to meetings and, and like shout about socialism. Our politics are in the mainstream Labour tradition. Certainly within Young Labour, yeah, in Scotland. Within Young Labour in Scotland. But uh, fundamentally it means that everyone who is in this, like on this, like uh, our politics are in the mainstream Labour tradition and we should be happy to claim that tradition as our own. I just think that fundamentally our politics are in line with the critical left on the trade union movement for the past 60, 70, 80 years. Um, yeah. And we should be like we should be more than happy to claim that heritage and to claim that tradition as our own. And the biggest weapon, the best weapon for people who are opposed to Corbyn's politics is to portray his supporters as outsiders who have came into the party over the past two years, yeah. rather than people who are happy to reclaim that political tradition. Because, you know, what, what Corbyn has done is to accelerate, I guess, Milibandism and to yeah. accelerate the process of taking Labour back from the new Labour rights. And the only people, in, I guess, in this conversation who are alien to the Labour tradition is new Labour. Yeah, and I think that's entirely right, because I don't think it's quite accurate to portray Corbyn as, like, you know, quote-unquote old Labour and no. say, this is like the spirit of 1945, this is what we used to stand up for, you know, because it wasn't. People tend um, to overlook the imperialist record of the Attlee government. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ernest Bevan's um, foreign policy was uh, extremely hawkish. Um, yeah. I mean, innumerable instances of just kind of flagrant imperial dick-waving from, um, <laughs> from those days and under that government. Yeah, it's also worth noting that Bevan, when he was running the trade union movement, essentially, was very kind of corporatist and very kind of managerial in his approach as well. Yeah. But I, I, again, like, I think it is worth emphasising, although like it's not that kind of a return to the original mainstream Labour position, the Labour left have always been there and the Labour Party has, let's be honest, always been a divided party and always had these contradictions within it. And Absolutely. It's another side that's kind of come to prominence there. There's always been a disagreement on even issues where the fundamentals are the same. So during the time of the post-war consensus, pretty much everybody in the Labour Party would agree that nationalisation to some extent was a good thing. But there were different approaches to nationalisation. For instance, Tony Benn often criticised the fact that it was this incredibly kind of bureaucratic, managerial and not entirely democratic sort of centralised system of control in the nationalised industries where it did feel more like the state running it than the people what? running it. No, that's right. That's entirely right. And I, I, th I think that's, you know, it is part and parcel with that kind of what Corbyn represents really and it's one of Tony Benn's big arguments for democracy. And I, th I think that's what Corbyn really talks about. And you see this a lot coming up with, you know, fairly questionable momentum slogans about take back control. 
But yeah. it's some kind of idea, isn't it? Yeah, and it really it really grates on me actually when people like Oliver fucking Cam are like <laughs> Corbin is completely alien to Labour's traditions because he you know, he sees like Clement Attlee building a nuclear program without consulting Parliament as like, you know, the great <laughs> Labour tradition. Real Labour values. Yeah. Exactly. And um you know, I made some, it was kind of like a pompous tweet to be honest, in retrospect. I was like, Oh, what have you ever been to like the fucking Durham minor Gala or like the Toll Puddle Martyrs Festival or anything. I haven't fucking been to those things. Well, the Durham yeah. Miners Gala is actually interesting because historically, I think in the NUM, um, Durham was quite a, a right wing region. Yeah. Uh, and I was at it last year, and Jeremy Corbyn was standing up with three members of the Miami Five and uh, about two Cuban flags. And actually, this would be horrifically alien and just abhorrent to the original Durham tradition, but the kind of modern trade union movement's taking that over. But it it is quite a fun irony. But but the point, I guess, of what I was trying to say was that that there's this whole other side to the Labour Party, other than this kind of hawkish Atlanticism that Oliver Cam and his cohorts seem to think embodies the whole of the Labour Party. And yeah, it's it's obviously not true. There's always been committed anti-imperialists and committed socialists who really want to reorganise the economy on a fundamental level and provide an alternative to capitalism. Well, that's entirely right. If you look at the 1970s, for example, it was kind of, when Labour was in government even, it was pitched as a battle between the PLP and the party in the party conference where like the party passed you know a manifesto and a bunch of policy programs that were far to the left of the labor leadership of the day and they just were never implemented and that was kind of the roots of benism in itself like how do we deal with this you know like kind of democratic deficit and that we can pass things but then it never gets activated see i think it's a, a labor a real labor value dating from 1911 and that the conference decide what labor party policy is and the leader's office decides what it means. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What I'm really hoping is that you guys can translate the success you've seen within Young Labour at really establishing your policies and making them the official line, that you can kind of expand that out to Scottish Labour in general. And, I mean, it's fair to say, obviously, the Corbyn thing will affect them and the pressure, I guess, the pressure to be seen as at least like nominally left wing given the SNP sort of pretend to be a bunch of Blairites but yeah they're, they're, they are obviously more left wing now the program that they lost fucking shitloads of seats on uh, like in the Scottish Parliament last May it was far to the left of the Jim Murphy era I mean, the fundamental problem though is that the Jim Murphy era hasn't finished and um, the issue is that well, okay so Kezia has come in she's a new face she was also Jim Murphy's choice for deputy yeah. Um, the party machine is still staffed with the exact same people as it was staffed with under the Jim Murphy era. I mean, that's I true of the Labour Party in the wider country as well, really. I mean, well, it's it... true, it's true. And I guess when the history of the Corbyn movement is written, a lot of it will focus on what the actual party infrastructure prevented Corbyn from doing. Yeah. And it's, it's the simple things down from spelling Jeremy Corbyn's name wrong in a press release so that that gets the attention rather than the actual content of the press release yeah. to, um, to like, like broader like actual sabotage of Jeremy Corbyn's policy. So so let's not forget that at Scottish Labour Party Conference the other weekend, the party presented Jackie Bailey an award for Campaigner of the Year. Jackie Bailey did like the remarkable feat of actually winning a constituency seat within Scotland, which you know, it has to be commended because yeah. it's only like a 
I think we had what three three constituency seats to win. But also Jackie Bailey won that seat on like campaigning against official Labour Party policy passed by like conference which is apparently sovereign, but they're willing to actually stand up and applaud people that campaign against it. So, so for, in the, for that context, Jackie Bailey's seat is the seat of Trident. Yeah, that's right. Um, so she supported Trident. Oh, okay. She was outside the gates of Faz Line handing out the national newspaper front covers with... King scab. Yeah, yeah, of course. I know. <laughs> it's not just about that, but it does show a, a fundamental, like, the basis of these people's politics, that, you know, weapons of mass destruction are justifiable on the basis that they provide a certain amount of jobs for, like, a local industry. That is what their politics yeah. Upon. Yeah, and I think changing the political culture of an organisation is a lot more than passing policy at conference yeah, to influential positions. So, you know, we, we do still have a long slog ahead of us, God help yeah. us. I want us to, like, eventually... I, I see Slice as, I guess, the nucleus of a renewed Labour Party in Scotland, a renewed Labour movement in Scotland. And we're, we're getting there very slowly. What I would hazard against is, I guess, anything too quick or that outstrips the kind of uh so basically i think my main criticism of momentum in a way is that it developed like unorganically and it was a very kind of forced reaction to the the realities yeah. of winning power in the Labour party and i want slice i guess and i'm um, scottish on labor and um, to develop a lot more organically and um in line with the actual political circumstances so if you're saying you know slice got to take over the scottish Labour party it's not going to happen. But, you know, if we can if we can continue to build an organisation that has maybe about 250, 300, like, really committed and talented activists, then that is just as important. Yeah, and I think we also have to recognise where Scottish Labour is within the political context of the day. Because, you know, if we turn up to the next Scottish Labour conference and pack the room and get Alistair Cray elected, like, leader of the Scottish Labour Party, like, we yeah. still have an institution in Scotland with a very limited social and class base... Yeah, I'm um, taking that as an insult. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can't see it. But, uh, but, I mean, that's where we are. And I think, you know, we, t- we need to focus around actually rebuilding. And this is kind of my main criticism of the Scottish League Party at the moment is that there's been no adjustment in strategy. Yeah. And we keep presenting ourselves as an alternative administration when we're absolutely nowhere near it. You know, Keir Hardy never came out you know, 1900s, 1910s and said, we're going to raise the top rate of income tax by a penny. You know, this isn't how we should operate right now. So you think you shouldn't jump the gun by sort of saying, um, you know, we'll just off the top of my head, like, well, actually, so one of my Tony Benn books uh, on the back, it's like he's going to privatise the monarchy. <laughs> like, so it's not like we won't do anything like that. We won't jump to that stage of reform just yet. I think the most important thing is actually to think about the way in which Slice organises is that rather than so Momentum has tried to build a broad coalition of the left in support of Jeremy Corbyn, and we have tried in Slice to build a maybe a more tight and politically cohesive organisation that isn't based around Jeremy Corbyn as a personality, yeah. but is based around a commitment to socialist politics, and that is based around a commitment to, I'm not going to say democratic centralism, because that is not really something we no, have in we Slice, and really. we don't take lines, but that is committed to internal debate and then kind of having a coherent public face. Yeah. So the internal structure of Slice is actually, I would say, quite interesting. And it's something that anyone who's looking to build a similar left group, wherever it is, should look into. Because I think some of us in London might be uh, surveying the fucking smouldering wreckage of London Young Labour. Just like <laughs> slugs, slugs crawling over every bit of detritus. Yeah. Like, well, uh, wait, um, just a uh, shout out to Fraser Watt and yeah. Paul, who've been elected to yeah. the committee. Absolute legend. 
Yeah, um, the boy, on, the absolute <laughs> fucking boy. On that, on that matter though, Slice's internally, the internal politics of Slice are one of the most diverse left organizations I think that you could imagine. So I mean, like for myself, who's like completely like labor orientated, to people who voted yes or kind of like left nationalists, yeah. to folk who come from the kind of Trotskyist sects, to folk who come from the Scottish Green Party, we are a very diverse organization, and I think the main thing about Slice is that we've managed to handle these differences in a you know a, a um, a constructive and critical way yeah. rather than momentum which is like these divisions have been the absolute undoing of the organization yeah absolutely um, we also don't have a central office with like funding that, that, um, is, that <laughs> runs everything that's so. true but I, I, the most important thing i think is that we have handled our political differences in good faith and behind closed doors and for any left organization any if someone's looking to set up a group in i don't know liverpool or something that is the advice I would give them: is to have your conversation behind closed doors and to present a united front when you're, you know, standing in the actual Labour Party itself. Because you know, there's like there's a lot of differences in slice, and we manage to hold the organisation together because we are all committed to the success of it. And I don't really know whether the fact that it's a Scottish context is quite important, and um, whether slice couldn't have worked in London. I don't know what you think, Liam. I don't know. I think the situation in which it arose is fairly different, and perhaps it's got to do with like a more limited number of enthusiasts. Yeah. You know, and I think that context is important and it's something like you, you fairly need to consider because we had a bunch of like people fairly committed to that kind of program um, and then people we can bring on side who are to the left of like the Yes program. But structurally, I guess we were just set up very differently for momentum and for different purposes. And I also just think a very important aspect of Slice is that it has a, a very social dynamic and that there are constant trips to the pub, there are dinners, the members like become friends with each other on that basis. Yeah. Uh, and you know, this is like not a criticism of like the London left in any kind of way, but we got the maybe London elite. No, it was like, like <laughs> the croissant got... munching fucking falafel chomping fucking wind chime <laughs> hanging fucking All right, I've wait. I've forgotten what the other cultural signifiers are, but You play guitar, don't you? I do, yeah. <laughs> uh, my 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 uh, trustafarian guitar. <laughs> I mean, we got you know fifty five people to a Scottish Young Labour conference. You know, we've got a membership that's like three times that. Yeah. And the London left is getting maybe eighty ninety people to a London Young Labour conference. Yeah, London Young Labour, the biggest regional. The, 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 the biggest regional the and the most one of the most like pro carbon regions in the country. And I think the only reason that we managed to do that is because we have like actively tried to build personal relationships with every single activist in the organization. Yeah. So if you're going to treat activists as data on a spreadsheet, you're you not expect to come out. Yeah, yeah like you're going to turn out. It's about so Jane McElveney talks about structure tests and she talks about basically creating situations which force people to reveal their level of commitment to a certain project. So she's talking about that in terms of like a, a union campaign. If you do not do that, if you do not establish that level of commitment and that level of trust between the activists, then you're not going to be able to turn the people out in the room. And you're always going to be on a situation where you are mobilizing for a certain event rather than actually organizing. And I think that distinction between mobilizing and organizing is something which momentum has to take very seriously. Yeah, and I think that's particularly important within the Scottish context where the party membership and the levels of activism are actually much lower than within England. Like we've had a much... It, it, it has been significant. I mean, I, f like, I think we've actually increased our membership by 50% in the Scottish Labour Party since Corbyn came in. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Which yeah. is, you know, it's, it's impressive. But again, like, it's not as much as the growth in England. And I think the difference really has been, like, how organised this membership is. And you can't just rely on them to, like, get an email and turn up. Yeah. I guess this is the big issue now going forward. So the future, really, of the Corbyn Project depends on whether we can pass the McDonnell Amendment at the next Labour conference. I would say I agree with that, because the PLP are the major obstacle to any kind of socialist change. I mean, yeah, regardless, like if we're talking about you know somebody who's maybe softer, like Clive Lewis, or yeah. somebody who's like the designated successor, for example, let's say Rebecca Long Bailey, neither of them would make the ballot paper if yeah. there were a leadership election in the future. And obviously, there's the prospect of, for example, if Corbyn was forced out, that Tom Watson would simply just sit in the leadership position and not call. I can't imagine that. Twenty. And you, you imagine that, you know. Oh like, my god. Arch slug. Uh, so, <laughs> so um, the thing is, can I guess my main criticism of Momentum is while the right were winning all the votes in the hall at last year's conference, Momentum was hosting its own political event, The World Transformed, yeah. you know, miles down the road. And it didn't seem that there was, like, everybody who was at that conference should have been in the hall. Yeah. When it comes to organising at conference within CLPs, the right have been winning all these internal battles. When it's like this big thing that everybody knows about the left tends to win like obviously the nec elections we triumphed in although obviously immediately the right had to be like well <laughs> let's fucking diddle this and put fucking dugdale and carwin jones on on the yeah, nec exactly. i feel represented how are you <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. just unlike i'm um, context for this so obviously you're arguing with mr reddish on twitter the other day oh um, yeah yeah is he is he is he the guy who went to private school and, and yeah and didn't understand what a cop was yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, why do they never understand like why you say cop and they're just like sorry what's that i've never heard that word before <laughs> he's the chair of my clp uh so yeah <laughs> so once they blocked ria wilson obviously for standing for the national executive committee slugs. uh yeah exactly they brought out kind of like deceased slug jim murphy to do it for them <laughs> he's been hit with the pellets <laughs> What, wasn't um, it the most kind of devious kind of insidious shit as well? They said it was something about that she was connected to anti-Semitism because despite, she was a, me- a member of Momentum, despite being Jewish. Yeah, so despite first and foremost being like one of the most high-profile Jewish people in, in the constituency um, who worked at the local synagogue, she was somehow perceived as being anti-Semitic. Just to, like, clarify, like, so this is, like, you know, this is top brass knowledge here. So Luke Akehurst's candidacy for the NEC could have been blocked by him. <laughs> and they agreed not to block him. And that agreement was made between, you know, various higher-ups and momentum and Akehurst himself. So the left agreed to let Akehurst onto the ballot. And then the right decided to block Wilson. <laughs> so, you know, this time... <laughs> You know, this tells you what we're dealing with, in which fundamentally the left has a much nicer vision of how the Labour Party works than the right new politics. We're, we're like, yeah, we'll keep it comradely. We'll have the kind of gentler politics. And then the right are just like, fuck you, eat a dick. But it's wonderful. It was so good. And, and it, it gives me so much joy. I mean, there was a fellow who like stood up in the meeting who now works for the presiding officer of the Scottish Parliament, who had told me the night before that he was totally on board with his nomination. And then he got up and he gave a speech against it, obviously. But just seeing how much it pissed them off made me realise that, like, 
the Leo party is a project that's worth salvaging. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, we should probably talk a bit more about Slice, and I, I don't know whether we want to talk about youth politics in general and the importance of youth politics, because I think... So I was very, very, very cynical about whether youth politics was of any relevance at all yeah. for the past couple of years. I've been involved with Labour students. I've been to Labour students' conferences where, like, half the conference walked out in disgust, and then nothing really happened. And um, I think that Slice is kind of showing, I guess how we can do youth politics in the future. Because, I don't know about you, Liam, but I think that Slice has managed to combine... I think this is the best thing that Slice managed to do, is to combine practical action, practical organisation in terms of like anti-fascist work, in terms of organising for internal elections, in terms yeah. of running campaigns, with an actual programme of political education. And my biggest achievement as Slice Chair, and you know something which I want written on my gravestone, is I managed to like develop this political education programme. We took 25 talented young activists, we got them in a room, we set them up with mentors, and we had like a really cohesive, like comprehensive political education. And I just, it, for the life of me, I just can't work out why this hasn't been replicated across the country, like why Momentum hasn't done it nationally. Yeah, like, that, that's really, that's one of the things I was hoping Momentum would go and do, just to try and create these like opportunities for people to learn about politics. Because one of the you know the kind of insidious anti-intellectualism on the Labour right, where they're, they're sort of like, I think this is a line from our episode we just recorded earlier tonight, actually, but they're like, books? What's a book? The working man's never heard of a book. Yeah. This was, yeah, this yeah, was but... actually um, something I attacked for when I stood for Scottish Young Labour Chair, was that the opposing candidate never got their politics from books. And of course, you know, I have I, I actually have no lived experience whatsoever. I was conceived and born in a library. Uh, <laughs> fundamentally, you know, the truth is, obviously, working class folk likely don't read books. Yeah, I'm actually illiterate. So, uh, <laughs> but it's, I, I, it's a critical point, though. I do think that, you know, so me and a couple of others actually do run a kind of reading group that's not only into Labour, because Labour is very unpopular in Scotland, but yeah. um, we run a fortnightly reading group within Glasgow. Really? Slice have obviously got their political education. We're hoping to do something similar with SYL, kind of broaden it up a bit this year. But it is something we seem to be lacking. It's a broad Labour left. Um, yeah. kind of self-criticism and that kind of like analysis these days. Well, one of the first really promising things I thought of the Corbyn movement being politics done in a different way was that they called all these public meetings and stuff, Momentum and Labour itself put on various kind of panels, various sort of talks, lectures. I mean, especially very early on when John McDonnell was really trying to... When he'd got his Economic Advisory Council together, he was kind of launching himself, look, I'm a really, like, intellectually credible kind yeah. of shadow chancellor. Sure. And... Yeah, and they were and they were putting on I I can't remember what it's called but the People's PPE series that was it. Yeah. I thought that was brilliant, and you had MPs on the right sniffing at this, and I'm just saying I don't know how you can sniff at the idea of people voluntarily learning about stuff. It's yeah. voluntary. It's <laughs> fucking voluntary. It's the whole point is if somebody wants to do this thing, then they can go and do it. But that that can, that is counterposed to their entire politics, which is that. And, and Chuck Amuna wrote about this in his recent essay, which is that the Labour Party and the public, as he describes it, is a reciprocal relation. That there's no there's no kind of like flow between them. Quoting like, Chuck, eh? Bringing out the big guns. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of the intellectuals, you know. Uh, whether it's you get your you get your politics no, from books, man. 
What are you, are you quoting words you read off a page? Reprehensible. Out of touch with the working man. But Chuka's essay recently, which, you know, it's caused a little bit of a stir because it's a big kind of switch from the yeah. traditional identitarian right-wing social democratic politics. It spoke about this relationship between Labour and the electorate, which was that the electorate trusts Labour to win power and then deliver change for them. You know, the electorate is not to be involved in that change. The working class is not to be strengthened. People cannot go out and win these changes for themselves. It's all about electing. It's fundamentally about the working class electing an enlightened middle class representative of yeah. the Labour Party to deliver change for them. And that's where we are in Scotland. This is this was, yeah, this was one of the most like kind of sycophantic things I found within the Scottish Labour Party conference the other weekend was that they talked a lot about devolution and the federalism debate. And they framed it as if devolution was actually something that Tony Blair like came up with in a dream and was implemented on behalf of the Scottish people. Whereas I feel like you read the history of like actually the devolution movement in Scotland. It starts from like the kind of early sixties and it's popular pressure with on the Labour Party representatives from below, you know, from the trade unions that eventually pushed them into adopting a position that about half the Labour Party were uncomfortable with. Yeah. Um, and they kind of did it reluctantly. They did it because of that popular legitimacy. The same thing that some, I can't remember who it was, but a speaker at the Labour Party conference the other weekend claimed that Labour was the party that delivered equal pay. Now, Labour's Equal Pay Act under Barbara Castle um, wasn't actually equal pay, you know, and there was a bunch <laughs> of, it was forced onto them. Barbara Castle, I think, was against it and advised by trade union leaders, actually, not to implement this. It was forced on them by women striking and dagging them in Serfco. And it's this kind of, like, complete ideology where they completely erase any kind of working class agency. And it's the only working class agency is the vote. Yeah, the, no, the only working class agency is what Michael Duggar says in Parliament. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, these kind of heroic figures are, like, trusted to yeah. do what's right, and it's always the Labour Party, not the movement. That yeah, always... exactly. It's not that Labour is the working class for them, it's that Labour is a kind of benevolent Victorian philanthropic benefactor that, that helps the working class. Yeah, and fundamentally, the working class MPs that they put forward are ones who have escaped, like, dynamic... So Alan Johnson has bought into the bourgeois society. So why do they never talk about Angela Rayner or John Diana, McDonald's class John McDonald? I think they do talk about Angela Rayner's a bit because she says nice things about Tony Blair. Basically, if anybody is even vaguely non-Corbynite, then it's okay to talk about their working class background. If somebody's Rebecca Long-Bailey or John McDonald and they're a socialist, then fucking croissant munchers, regardless of the actual material circumstances yeah, you know, of their upbringing. People would rather just forget we existed entirely. Well, they, but, you know, they managed to be in government for 14 years and forgot the working class existed. Oh, well, yeah, I know, I know. I just think internally, like, I think this is, like, kind of an inertia in the party that they don't realise where their actual youth are going and what they actually think. Well, like, like, um, let's, like, a concrete example of this. Scottish Labour just released a party political broadcast. Watch it, it's hilarious. Um, um, <laughs> but they just released a video where they they had all these young people on. Not a single one of them was a member of the elected youth committee. It was just their favourite people in the youth wing who they wanted to profile. Oh and God. some of them had just stood for the Scottish Young Labour Committee and been like unanimously rejected. The fact is that Alec Rowley, the deputy leader of Scottish Labour, got up on the final day of conference and said, congratulations to the new youth wing. And, you know, called them all out by name. And Kezia sat there and didn't clap. That, oh. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, that, I slap that, in the face. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. I know you guys don't hold her in, like, the highest esteem, but you can't imagine Corbyn doing that to any right-wingers from the, you can't even the imagine, youth like, wing of the party, can you? Yeah, Ed Miliband or Jim Murphy wouldn't have done that. No, of course not. The fact that, like, we exist as, like, politically engaged and critical left-wing young people is an entire, like, rejection of their entire politics. Yeah, which is absolutely. That their politics demands deference. Yeah. Like, Kezia Dugdale with you, a young person is somebody who will retweet her tweets, who will come to her events, and who will get their selfies with her. It's a fucking that, glorified bow tie. That's, well, that's it. You know, the, the, <laughs> uh, Lemmy, Lemmy would call them the Malcolm Malcolm. And the fact that, you know, that there are a group of young people in Scottish Young Labour who are critical of Kezia Dugdale's position, who are not afraid to challenge the leadership, and who don't hold power in complete and utter, like who don't sacrifice their views in the face of power. Yeah, yeah. That is, power isn't a salary. Yeah, you know? that is offensive to her. You know, in the meetings with her, you know, she's been like, she's found things that we've said to be personally offensive. Why? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, Why? I, I think, I think that's that? the thing. The, the ascendancy of Corbyn and the left of the party threatens these people's worldview and their very existence. And they might say, oh, no, we don't think he can win. We don't feel threatened by him. But, I mean, within the Labour Party, he can win, and they do. And people wouldn't have voted for Corbyn unless they fucking hated everything that the vast mainstream of the Labour Party represented. He, he's just a rejection of all of that kind of spaddiness, all of that triangulation, all of that fucking just repetitive jargony interviews. Yeah. Like, the, the whole way that they've made their bones and the way they expected their career to kind of flower as their lives went on. And um, I, I think, like, in the broader Scottish political context, this is why Corbyn's so important. Because yeah. if he is a reaction to, against like, this triangulation, this spin within the Labour Party, that is coming within Scotland against the SNP. Yeah. You know, because I think I think they're like... I, I really do see the SNP as, like, Blairites, but less constrained. I think the, way, the best way to think of the SNP is, like, as a kind of sped-up Blairism. So it took Blairism a kind of, like, 14, no, 17-year arc before fall apart they are already at the stage now where they are you know they are like they are openly implementing austerity they're at the, the, the james purnell era of the SNP already it's taken them three years to go from like a complete anti-austerity position to like just complete acceptance of it and the, the cracks are showing but the problem in scotland though is that it's obviously there's not a credible labor party in scotland no and that the only force that's been strengthened by the kind of eventual the weakening of the SNP is the tories yeah that's true. um and yeah the most credible candidate for First Minister is not somebody waiting within the SNP ranks to take over from Sturgeon, it's Ruth Davidson. And like the prospect now of a Conservative government in Scotland, which 10 years ago would have been, you know, you'd have been laughed out of the room. Yeah. I, you know, even, you know, my, my seminars this year at university, it was all talked about the Conservatives have a 20, 25% of the ceiling in Scotland. That's yeah, it. Yeah. They're not. They don't have that anymore because like, they are now the party of unionism. So as long as unionism has a 55% ceiling. I mean, it's just suicidal that so many of the kind of right wing old guard in Scottish Labour seem to uh, want to rule out a second independence referendum at all costs, regardless of public opinion. Yeah, on this, there is a very distinct division in Scottish Labour at the moment, and it's based on, I guess, the strategies to the second referendum, and it's based on how to approach the Conservative Party. So, on this note, like, Dugdale is actually, I would say Dugdale is probably less inclined towards supporting the Conservatives in a second referendum. I'm, I'm not going to go on record and praise Kezia Dugdale, but... <laughs> 
Oh, but no, she is. Like, yeah, like Dale yeah. is like is in a position where she's being maneuvered around by the people around her. There's like people like an Asawar, who's this current like health spokesman in the Scottish Parliament, who would be more than happy to like support the Conservatives and to endorse Theresa May in blocking a second referendum. Like the whole kind of scandal of the past couple of days is all about showing up Kezia Dugdale's position amongst the Scottish Labour membership against any kind of Corbynite candidate that might come forward to challenge her. Just to recap on it for our listeners, Corbyn basically said that he would be open to a second referendum. If the Scottish Parliament voted to have a second referendum, Westminster shouldn't block it, which is the position of the Scottish Conservative and Unionist Party and is the position of Kezia Dugdale. The response to that from people on the centre and right of the Labour Party was vastly disproportionate to their response when Kezia Dugdale said effectively the same thing a few weeks ago. Exactly the same thing, yeah. And if Corbyn came out and said that he would be happy for Westminster block it, it would be the same exact outrage yeah. blocking the view of the Scottish people. But obviously the dynamic involved in this is that Dugdale's leadership is particularly weak. That I guess it's the thing with them. So Dugdale obviously endorsed Owen Smith against Corbyn in yeah. the past leadership election. The way in which the right are wanting to build up their membership and to build up their support base is by creating these artificial divides and, and like uh, crises between Dugdale's relationship with Corbyn. But the problem is that like their main challenge to Dugdale is not coming from the Corbynite left in Scotland. It's coming from the right. And Asarwar has been you know profiling himself for years as the Scottish Labour leader in waiting. And, you know, he's you know signed up a lot of members. He's got, like, a high media profile. After the council elections and after Scottish Labour is wiped out, I'm afraid, which is going to happen, and Asarwar yeah. is going to challenge. So the question is, why has Dugdale spent half of her leadership trying to alienate the left when they're the only people that could back her up against the challenge from Sarwar? And, you know, well, I'm not going to be there for her when it happens. <laughs> so... <laughs> I think the, the great thing about, well, one of many great things about Slice is that you have, to paraphrase John McDonnell, started to create a new generation of socialist leadership. So by cultivating a kind of committed and connected activist base, there are figures, you know, emerging. I mean, such as like the two of you who are in leadership positions within those uh, youth organisations, who, um, you know, very well could you know, take the mantle on from uh, Neil Finlay or whoever the standard bearer of the left in uh, Scottish Labour is right now. For example, Rhea Wilson, for example, um, who is outstanding. Um, Jenny Killen, who is standing for NUS um, at the moment. Um, These are people who are the future of the Scottish Labour Party. Yeah, I'd like to give a shout out to Laura Dover, who's my vice chair, who's destined to become an MSP. Um, Oh, (laughs) she'll hate that. She's going to hate that. Um, But... um, I mean, I think, I mean, me and Liam never see ourselves as, you know, John McDonald's next generation. I think both of us, like, view our role as fundamentally outside of the movement. I think that's But, you know, the people who are involved at Slice at the moment, I'm not going to name any more names. I'm going to name one more. I'm going to name Grant Aitken. But, like, these people are, like, I guess, the future of the left in Scotland. But I I think that's important as well, because I think people within Slice and the Labour Party are involved because... You know, they genuinely believe in this kind of thing, and there yeah, would be a change within society. They don't. Uh, you know, if you if you were involved in the Scottish Labour Party and like you wanted to get a cushy job, 
you know, you want a decent salary or you wanted to become an ASP, like, to be Stick honest... Stick that bow tie not... on and fucking, you know, go and oh, yeah, you would to do, yeah. Dugdale. Yeah, you would not join Slice. Um, <laughs> and I think that's what's fairly critical about us, and that actually gives us a fairly decent degree of autonomy and independence from that party, is that we're not relying on them anymore. Absolutely, and you were saying earlier how you have a much more coherent message than, say, Momentum, which has all kinds of internal frishes. And you do seem to be kind of united around a radical goal. It's Scottish Labour Young Socialists. It's unapologetically of the left. It's also it's... unapologetically Labour, and that's something that isn't really... We have, like, really good relationships with people on, like, outside Labour Party on the left in Scotland. And, you know, yeah. a lot of them... You know, we're starting to rebuild these relationships because, you know, some of us have maybe had a kind of more antagonistic approach to these Sorry. people, myself included, <laughs> you know, on the rise left or on the SNP left. Yeah, if thing. anyone in the broader Scottish Labour left is, is listening, I'd like to apologise. Um, <laughs> but, um, but at the same time, like the fact that we are Labour and like the fact that we are saying that this is what the Labour Party should look like is quite important because I think that the, the important issue in Scotland really, and it's something we've not touched on tonight, is that in Scotland, the soft left and the centre doesn't really exist. It's been hollowed out and people who would maybe identify as on the soft left of the Labour Party are in the SNP, or they're in yeah. the uh, that, that's, that If they were in England, they'd be in the Labour Party, but in Scotland, they're not. So yeah. in and Labour, it's increasingly polarised yeah, between absolutely. the left and the right. So you have a hard left who are supporters of Corbyn, and then you have the kind of personality relationships around Sarwar and Dugdale. Yeah. Um, which is a kind of Glasgow-Edinburgh relationship. Almost like the Blair-Brown thing, where their politics weren't hugely different but yeah. there were distinct camps yeah, it, and approaches. It, it's so depoliticised that these like, slight distinctions actually matter, you yeah, know, of who exactly. you know. So um, that's, I think, the big distinction. And the thing that I want Slice people to do is to present that image of, you know, the fact that the Labour left is organised and that it is active to people who would otherwise not view the Labour Party in that way. And I think it's, it's quite, you know, we have managed to recruit and get involved people who would never have considered joining the Labour Party. I mean, yeah. honestly, my, myself included, back in the day before Slice even existed, you know, like, it's, it's hard to imagine yourself getting involved in a party where there is... When, when did you no. join the Labour Party? Kind of March 2015, just okay. before the general election. And I never was on the Labour doorstep for that election because I was too nervous. I'm I get that. Activism within the Labour Party with a Jeremy Corbyn street stall. So I'm like, I've, I've, you know, a fully paid up £3 trot. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I also just... AWL. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> the Alliance for War and Liberalism. The Alliance of White Liberals. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's like not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, you know, we include the AWL in our coalition in Slice. You know, we're not. I, I, I'm sorry, AWL. Just pretend the last bit was never said. Oh yeah, when me and Tom in the spoons up in Oxbridge earlier, some like old guy just sort of totted over to us, and he was just like. Would you like to support a general strike? And I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds like my kind of thing. Yeah, cool. He mentioned, like, we're trying to get the unions to support a general strike. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then he uh, he was like, here, have this newspaper. And he, he, like, gave us this, like, workers' action or something, is it called? Wait, what was it? It wasn't Sean McGander. It was it was the Workers' Revolutionary Party, it turned out. He, try, <laughs> he, tried, to get, he tried to get me to join. I told him I'm a Labour member. He's like, I used to be a Labour member. I left over the Falklands. <laughs> <laughs> See, everyone that berates you for uh, used to be a Labour member isn't a trot in Scotland. They're all in the SNP. Uh, <laughs> so my, my favourite kind of Labour doorstep 
story. It comes from Hazel Nolan, who's like a GMB organizer. Um, so she knocked on a woman's door, and the woman came to the door, and she's like, "Nope, I've not voted Labour um, since the war." Uh, so Hazel obviously goes, "Oh, since the Iraq War," and she goes, "No, no, World War Two." <laughs> <laughs> so, so. The, the line I always remember about former Labour voters who've gone off to join the SNP is that they have, I, I think, the, the fury of the apostate or something. I got, got that from Owen Jones, who, inc- <laughs> incidentally, if you want to know about the fury of the apostate... <laughs> <laughs> Owen, Owen's, Owen is a, he's a great guy. I really like Owen. Like, he's just wrong. Owen has been actually quite a good help in Building Slice. You know, he's been at our events. He's, like, retweeted us. Um, after the time he threw us under the bus over our tweet, you know, celebrating like the Russian Revolution <laughs> has paid up. He has paid his dues. So like, okay. Owen can be part of the coalition. And, you know, I, I regret having a go at him over Twitter. Um, but like, <laughs> like, I did own him. Um, <laughs> lessons to learn <laughs> yeah what was astonishing from the start was even just seeing on the level of being sort of spokespeople for the party in regular media appearances time and time again you didn't have somebody who could just express a coherent sincere left-wing line basically i mean for ages in the early days it would be like oh owen smith appeared on question time and was reasonably left-wing oh chris bryant was vaguely yeah. all right on question time last I night i don't know if you remember like the first day the government was elected like sky did a thing in parliament square and they they had to bring people in from nuf to speak for like shelly asquith came in and yeah for corbyn and shelly asquith is obviously like outstanding but the Absolutely. fact was that, why wasn't there an MP that could have done that job? But I guess, like, the Parliamentary Labour Party is, like, so unrepresentative of what, like, the membership is now. That Absolutely. You struggle to actually articulate these kind of things. I think they've got a bit better at that recently, to be fair. I think there's a few from a party who've emerged as pretty solid spokespeople for the party. Like Emily Thornberry, um, who, it's amazing to think she wasn't even there at the start of the Corbyn movement. Yeah. You know, at the start of 2016 she wasn't in the shadow cabinet we should um, shout out to Damien McBride as well for like you know being completely against you know the actual project itself but realising the importance oh of the oh my goodness are we are we, yeah. <laughs> are we now shouting out people who were commending for being labourists through and through no 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 no, no. Yeah. I, I, this is my thing I always thought that McBride was excellent like, oh sorry I am not <laughs> take out we are all labour line from you I just I can't do it <laughs> I will start clapping Kev's Dogdale's speech because we are all labour. I did not um, fucking. I did. Ne- I have never clapped. I'm joking. We were hungover. <laughs> we were not in the hall. Um, but I swear, like McBride is maybe a bit politically better than other people from the era of fucking spad he comes from. Yeah, he's anti-Trident, isn't he? He wrote an article back when Corbyn first became leader, saying like, if you want to understand Jeremy Corbyn, like understand the inequality in Islington. Yeah. So, you know, maybe he's more sort of soft left than Blairite. Brownite would be more his... Yeah, he was a brown guy, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Sure. I, I guess it's just I came in and, like, my politics were originally, like, Brownite. Mm. No, shut up. I voted... Um, well, so I was Jack, like, Jack, what's worse, Brownite or nah? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, ooh. Ooh. I, I'm not going to... 
Scottish issue. Not with no comment. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be a colonialist. You very like this. I believe that the Scots should follow my decree on the following issues. <laughs> You're going to entirely edit me out, so there's no whatsoever. Well, I mean, we should probably wrap up soon. And um... sure, the one thing you did promise us was Copper Comrade. Oh fucking hell! All right, give me a minute, and I'll think of like a handful of names. Okay. So, like, okay. Uh, but I haven't. Oh fucking! I'll like poke Tom and like we could be like Tom. What do you think of this answer? All right, let me think. Of that. All right. <laughs> um. Uh. And on my exciting cliffhanger, we'll pick this up in a few days' time for a special game of Scott or Comrade. All right, later. Fourth road bridges falling down, falling down, falling down. Fourth road bridges falling down. Oh, let's blame the SNP. Wait a minute, no it's not, no it's not, no it's not. Wait a minute, no it's not. That's unionist propaganda. It's being repaired as we speak, as we speak, as we speak. It's being repaired as we speak. Thanks to Scott Gubb's prompt action. And Scott for building a new bridge, a new bridge, a new bridge. And Scott for building a new bridge, which will be completed next year. The Unionists opposed the new bridge, opposed the new bridge, opposed the new bridge. The Unionists opposed the new bridge. They called it a vanity project. And let's not forget the billions for HS2, HS2, HS2. Let's not forget the billions for HS2, which Scotland is paying for, but not getting. Fourth road bridge isn't falling down, falling down, isn't falling down. Fourth road bridge isn't falling down. Shut the fuck up, Britain at fuckwits. Let's get together and rebuild the bridge, rebuild the bridge, rebuild the bridge. Do it as quick as possible, because it's not political football, it's affecting people's it's lives. Tough, it's exciting, it's young people, it's crap. SNP, maybe know that bad. <laughs>